fellow quarantiners, welcome to episode 12, day 26 of Smells Like Quarantine Spirit, the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, do things and learn things during the COVID-19 quarantine, backed by my golden-voiced fiancé, Adam Lofbaum. That's me. (laughs) So today's episode is going to focus on physical fitness. Um, I know this seems like pretty low-hanging fruit because, well, everybody's doing this. Anyone else notice a strange metamorphosis happening on their Instagram feeds? It's like suddenly everyone is a food blogger or fitness instructor. Ah, ye old fitness gram. The best way to showcase photos of your body and pretend like it's totally about helping other people. It's almost as annoying as suddenly starting a podcast during a quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Word. (laughs) But um, I'm really excited about this one because... I wasn't able to work out for the first few weeks of quarantine due to my surgery. And let me tell you, I actually really missed it, even more than I've been missing it for the last, uh, I don't know, year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) You see, um, I've never really been a fitness person. Time is limited, especially when you live in New York City, as I did for many years. And I'd rather spend my time reading or writing or seeing friends or watching TV shows or cooking. And like, New York keeps you walking at least. And then I moved here to Nashville right before I turned 30, and the combination of those things, not so great. (laughs) But in spring of 2018, I ran a half marathon. And let me tell you, I fucking hated running. I hated it so much. I hated every training run, every conditioning run. I woke up on the morning of the half marathon and thought, thank God I never have to do this again after today. Then a weird thing happened. What's that? So... I enjoyed the half marathon. I really, really enjoyed it. And afterwards, I missed it. I missed running. So I kept it up. Until about a year later, after Adam and I met and started getting serious. I mean, you know how it is when you start dating someone special. You have to shift things around a bit in your life. Suddenly, there's not as much time as there was when you were alone. And, you know, my other hobbies have always been prioritized over fitness. Suddenly, catching a flick with your honey seems like more fun than watching the other self-punishers in the park. Oh, yeah. Suddenly, cooking elaborate meals feels like a better use of time than quickly scarfing a nicely balanced prepped chicken breast and broccoli after several miles. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, having sex seems like more fun than pounding the pavement in 100-degree weather. (laughs) Go figure! (laughs) Combine all that with the minor injury I'd sustained when I pushed a little bit too hard on a 10K one time... Basically, I completely stopped running when Adam and I seriously started dating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, in fairness to me, at this point, I also had an insane job that took me all of the country and the world for probably a week or more of any given month, except like not all at once. So it basically made regularly scheduled exercise impossible. But anyway, I had a lot of great excuses not to work out and to fall out into old habits. But, you know, after I started having some serious health issues in January, which led to my eventual diagnosis of endometriosis, which is the condition that I had surgery for three weeks ago, I was determined to bring some balance back into my life. Um, After all, my personal motto for myself and for everyone else, in case you're wondering what my personal motto for you is, is uh, (laughs) read, write, run. So what I mean by that is to be a healthy person, everyone should do their best to absorb knowledge, to create something of value, and to keep themselves healthy. I do really believe pretty strongly in a mind-body connection. I think to to be your best creative and your best thinker, you you need to take care of your body and take take care of yourself. Here we are, and here I am. And last Monday, so a week ago, I started running again. I ran Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and also today, Monday again. 
But the furthest I've gone is about a mile and a quarter, and it's usually just only a mile, but it is happening, and I don't worry that I'm secretly setting my recovery back, and it feels good to be doing something. Mm Mm-hmm. So, whatever your fancy is, if it's running, although if you are running, do try to maintain a good distance, right? Six feet is not enough. You're sweating the shit out. Don't infect other people in case you are infected. Anyway, um, whether it's running or yoga or online classes, oh, and along those lines, you have options. A lot of small local fitness and yoga shops are doing online classes, so do look into that so that you can keep supporting local whenever possible. And now... Now mm-hmm. you have time. Loads of time. Even if you aren't fun employed like I kind of am now, uh, you're probably not commuting unless you have a super important job, in which case, go for that. Do that. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Um, but guess what you can do with the time that you used to spend singing in your car, people watching on the subway? Yes, that's right. You can do some stretches, um, do some calisthenics. I learned some really cool stuff about that that actually we can talk about in a minute. But mm. anyway... Um, in order to inspire you to get going, I thought that I'd talk about some historical pieces of exercise. So we're going to talk about a couple of random things I read about Victorian exercise, just because it's weird and cool. And then we're going to get into the meat, which is about female gladiators. Ooh, mm-hmm. That's cool. Yes. Okay. So first we can talk maybe a little bit about um, what I was reading about Victorian times and calisthenics. So mm-hmm. <laughs> calisthenics was... Um, it was kind of iffy when they were trying to figure out like what women should do to exercise, if they should exercise mm. at all. So initially they were like, nah, women shouldn't exercise. It's up to men to be strong, robust. In the like mid and late 1800s, um, they still kind of believed in the ancient Greek idea that women had what's called a wandering womb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. And so the idea was that the womb was not really attached anywhere. It just kind of floated around the body, and you had to be really careful, or else you could aggravate it. You said they, they called it like an animal within the animal? Yes, that, yes. The yeah. quote was, it's like an animal within the animal. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It reminds me of like Alien, you know, with uh, yeah. the, the little creature totally. stirring around in her gut. <laughs> totally. And that's why, like, I mean, they thought, like, hysteria mm. was linked to this, like, all kinds of stuff. So basically, it was like, don't anger the womb. So like, <laughs> don't move around too much. So they basically were like, okay, women can wear these super pretty outfits at home, like these pretty, like cotton dresses with these pretty sashes, and basically just lift their arms up and down mm. repeatedly. So like, yeah. <laughs> like, wow. like at home, just little like gentle movements that. You know, I guess if you don't ever lift anything. And actually, the, the woman, Ruth Goodman, I think is her name, is the woman who wrote the book How to Be Victorian, which I've talked about in the past in here because I'm reading it. It's amazing. It's just super interesting. She was saying that she and her teen, at the time, teen daughter, did these exercises to try to see, like, was it effective? And she thought it was ridiculous and she didn't feel a thing. But her daughter complained of serious soreness the next day. Hmm. And she realized that it's because, like, she like gardens and does stuff mm-hmm. um w- although she wouldn't call herself fit by any means but her daughter is basically just like a normal you know 21st Sedentary century kid, kid. Yeah. yeah who's just like sitting on the computer and she pointed out that actually the amount of time that a kid nowadays or, or her daughter spent like sitting over a, a computer and just like typing stuff out it's like low impact fine work like a like a victorian woman may have spent 
doing needlework. Mm, so that right, that actually right. like maybe oh, she kind wow. of drew that parallel, which I thought was huh. super cool. That is interesting. And so actually, it could have it could have been beneficial. And like mm. any movement is better than no movement. I mean, and to, to that end, actually, is probably we're going to talk now about me and Adam's favorite co-workout thing besides. Um, yoga, don't, it's not what you think, actually, <laughs> now that I say Pounding that. No, the pavement? No, that is not. <laughs> walking. It's walking. <laughs> so, actually, walking was what they kind of landed on in the Victorian era as being helpful for for women, specifically, because you didn't have to wear special outfits for it. Anyone can do it. You just go outside, you take your little walk, you take your little stroll, and you wouldn't sweat because... We can't have sweating. Mm-mm. That would be so Mm-mm. unattractive. So lots of walking all the time. Um, because actually, what ended up coming up was they were, like, not encouraging women to work out because, you know, you didn't want to anger the womb. But then they were like, women are super frail. <laughs> they are like, why are our women so frail? And why are they not bearing enough babies for the empire? <laughs> you know, what, what we're good for. Um, so walking. Walking became the thing. Um, so to talk about walking a little bit, here's just a, an excerpt from Ruth Goodman's book, How to Be Victorian. <laughs> the value of walking was that it didn't jiggle the torso around too much. The chest would be expanded by all the good, fresh air, while the limbs were exercised and the whole of the abdomen remained smoothly carried and undisturbed. It was also a free form of exercise, requiring no special clothes, equipment, or location. Anyone could walk around out in the open air, even the very poorest. Nor did walking in any way compromise respectability. Indeed, if you carried a small basket or parcel, no one would even know you were taking exercise. They might simply assume you were performing an errand. Because, God forbid, we do anything that thinks about improving women's bodies. Yeah, yeah. would not be respectable. (laughs) Would not be respectable. And I guess a good note coming out of that, too, is that obviously... This kind of thing applied to middle and upper class women. Uh, women of the poorer classes were definitely getting a lot of hard, intense, rough exercise in the form of the work that they did, which would either be household work, just very intensive scrubbing, or work in factories, things like that, mm. which was often very unsafe, but probably really good for getting Michelle Obama arms. One of those. But yeah. Anyway, so that was just kind of a fun little detour because I was reading this book this morning and um, learned all that stuff about exercising the Victorian era. So we can do all that today. We take walks. Yep. Adam and I take walks at least once a day. We're going to take one right after we're going to take one right after actually. we're done with this. Cool. Okay. So now on to the meat. What I what I originally wanted to talk about in this in this podcast, female gladiators. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gladiating. It is not just for Russell Crowe anymore. <laughs> So I first came across female gladiators entirely by accident when I was a teenager. So I think I was deep diving into the story of Achilles and Penthesilia. No idea if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a great, um, great and little known story about Achilles. Like, you know, that Achilles, the one from the Trojan War, um, totally invulnerable, except for that point at his ankle, Achilles Mm -hmm. heel. We got, yeah. Anyway, so he fell in love with and then fought and killed or maybe it was that he fought and killed and then fell in love with. It's kind of hard <laughs> to tell with Greek myths sometimes. But anyway, Achilles was really super into and also killed the queen of the Amazons, which is, you know, for 14-year-old me was fascinating and super cool and interesting. Like, there's a queen of the Amazons. She was even named. She had all these, like, great legends about her. But Googling that story brought me to an image of a marble relief that 
Well, I'll have Adam um, read read the description of it. Okay. So the marble relief from Halicarnassus in Turkey dates from the second century AD. Now in the British Museum, it depicts two women, Amazon and Achillea, fighting as gladiators. The Greek declares them Misai Sunt, that they both have received missio and have been granted a reprieve from this particular contest. Okay, so just a super quick interjection. Uh, Misai Sunt, or however you pronounce it, is basically like an honorable discharge, from what I understand from Googling this. Mm -hmm. So it was basically like, you both did good, keep going. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry, continue. Although heavily armed in the manner of the secutor, with greaves and the right arm protected and carrying a large oblong shield, the heads of the women are bare, as are their breasts. The absence of helmets is a curious omission, and may be simply due to the desire to see the faces of the combatants, given the rarity of such encounters and how evenly matched were the protagonists. Coleman, however, suggests that the two round objects on either side of the names represent not spectators, but helmets, signifying that each combatant has also qualified for missio. Achilles is said to have killed and then fallen in love with Penthesilea. Okay, so that... Killed and then fall in love. Yeah, killed and so then fall in love. So killed her first, okay. then he fell in love with her. Convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Queen of the Amazons, her beauty conquering the conqueror. The gnomes de guerre of the two women, therefore, seem especially appropriate, and one wonders if they were chosen deliberately. Okay, so first off, you should know that the quotes from this section that we're talking about are all from uh, penelope.uchicago.edu, which is an absolutely insane website. Like, I encourage everyone to go look at it. It is like a relic. As far as I can tell, it has not been touched in almost 20 years. And also, if you go to the main page, it's all about Sir Thomas Brown, of whom I know nothing, his works. And then there's a section called Not Brown. Within the Not Brown section, there's a list that includes Bill Thayer's website, because that's what people at the dawn of the internet called their web pages, you know, Um, the Encyclopedia Romana, other texts not by Brown as a subcategory of Not Brown, and then also a page that links to several photographs of this guy's cat, Boo, who sadly died in 2002. R.I.P. Boo. So how I found this section of this, I honestly cannot tell you, but it's a great primary resource. You can find, like, all of these original Roman texts on there to read at your leisure. Um, anyway, back to the original point of this. So one thing that really sparked my curiosity about this description is the idea that these women use noms de guerre um, and that, like, their noms de guerre matched. So, like, does that mean that they did, like, a themed act together? Because I know gladiators were, Mm. it was all about entertainment. And, yes, you could die doing the entertainment, but a lot of people didn't die. And they they could get hurt or injured, but they they would be repeat returners to Mm -hmm. the arena. So, just like... Like boxers. Like boxers. But more deadly. But with more death. (laughs) (laughs) So, the possibilities are endless. So, I'm like, that's pretty cool that maybe these two women, Mm -hmm. like, had their little double act like in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Killer women. Um, killer women. But um, how do we know that these female gladiators were real and not just like, I don't know, Greco-Roman fan fiction? Hmm? Possible, mm-hmm. right? Possible. Mm-hmm. But Tacitus in his annals wrote, The same year witnessed a number of gladiatorial shows, equal in magnificence to their predecessors, though more women of rank and senators disgraced themselves in the arena. Okay, so this is a really great opportunity for a quick aside about one of my most and least favorite things about learning about history. It's that it's not easily laid out for you. It is a mystery of the highest order that requires constant vigilance and out-of-the-box thinking to piece together whatever it is that you're looking for. 
And frankly, it's also a massive time suck because there are no neon signs pointing you in the right direction. So Tacitus didn't know that what he was writing at that point was going to end up becoming one of the keystone pieces of evidence in the existence of female gladiators. He barely mentions them at all. Like, this is a really... His annals are huge. There's... <laughs> sorry. Gross. Um, <laughs> his His writing was is massive and, and very thorough in pages and pages and pages. Um, he barely talks about this. It is only in passing, and it's basically just a really snarky, women shouldn't wrestle kind of misogynistic comment. But his shittiness has led to a fascinatingly and ironically feminist triumph, proof that women did participate in arena fights, even if, according to him, they were, quote-unquote, disgraced. So that's what's cool and kind of frustrating about historical exploration. I mean, at some point, for all we know, someone contemporaneously may have written an entire treatise on female gladiators, on their habits, their relationship with male gladiators, their social status, but that's not the dusty scroll we dug up. So we have to make do with things like shitty Mr. Tacitus or uh, Cassius Dio, who in Roman history says, There was another exhibition that was at once most disgraceful and most shocking, when men and women, not only of the equestrian, but even of the senatorial order, appeared as performers in the orchestra, in the circus, and in the hunting theater, like those who are held in lowest esteem. Some of them played the flute and danced in pantomimes, or acted in tragedies and comedies, or sang to the lyre. They drove horses, killed wild beasts, and fought as gladiators, some willingly and some sore against their will. Yeah, okay, so yet another reference to female gladiators, but it's getting a little fucked up here because, again, it's against their will. Like, that's that's terrible. Um, Nicholas of Damascus also wrote about that specifically, saying... And sometimes it chanced that someone had specified in his will that the most beautiful women he had bought must fight among them. And even someone else had ordered that two boys, his favorites, must do that. Yeah, okay. So, again, like, a lot of evidence here for something that happened thousands and thousands of years ago that female gladiators existed, which is really cool. But less cool is the implication that they were at least some of the time slaves forced into the arena. Um, and as were many of their male counterparts. I mean, that's kind of the whole plot of Gladiator, right? Is mm-hmm. like, he's a, he's a general, he's disgraced, or not disgraced, but he's like sold into slavery he for is, some yeah, reason. He, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he becomes, you know, he wins the crowd. So that was that was pretty common for, for men and apparently women to be enslaved and forced to participate in, in the arena. But the website ancient.eu, um, which has a really great article about this, actually, I found it late in my investigation, and mm. then I found it and was like, oh, they pulled together all of these sources oh, wow. <laughs> and stuff. I could have just read this article. But anyway, um, they note that... In 11 CE, the Roman Senate passed a law forbidding freeborn women under the age of 20 from participating in the games of the arena. This suggests the practice had been ongoing for some time previously. It should be noted that the decree specifies freeborn females, not female slaves, who are assumed to have still been able to participate. Okay, so what's cool about this is that while it does, of course, underscore the fact that female slaves would have been forced into this kind of work, they had to pass a law 
to prevent freeborn Roman women from doing this. Yeah. Which means that enough freeborn under Roman women. Under the age of wi- 20. Under the age of 20. That's <laughs> so right. The, so, so it the, wasn't what, even. Yeah, yeah. Holy 21. Shit. If, you can, if you can drink, you can fight in the arena. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the new slogan. If you can drink, you can fight in the arena. Although, I assume that they gave Romans, like, wine with their bottle. Probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, this does say that there were enough freeborn Roman women participating that required making at least partially, some of it partially illegal. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting, too. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that although they may have been rather ridiculed in all the sources that we've read or disdained way back mm-hmm. uh, or disdained in Rome, um, they come from a long tradition of female athletes. Um, I remember way back in my art history class in high school, AP Art History, seeing a depiction of uh, Minoan bull leaping and being so pleased that there were women participating in that. So you can you just kind of look at this this drawing and it's like men and women just leaping over bulls, which also sounds really dangerous. <laughs> um, but and actually. You know, everyone should learn as much as possible about Minoan culture because it's really fascinating and surprisingly egalitarian. You can start with The Chalice and the Blade by Rianne Eisler. And yes, I will plug that book in as many episodes as I possibly can because it's awesome. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, we've all heard about Spartan women as well. Like, mm-hmm. they believed that their women should should train to a certain extent alongside their men. I mean... Again, kind of same with Victorians, like because it would make them able to bear stronger male warriors and stronger females to bear more strong male warriors. Uh, so not not, not exactly not exactly about self determination there, um, but still, you know, it's something. Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I hope that that inspires you to learn more about female gladiators, and I don't know how. This isn't already some sort of mini series, or right. wasn't, or wasn't featured in Rome at yeah. some point. Did you see the TV show Rome? No, I didn't. It's great. It's really great. Really fun, fun couple of seasons there. But learning more about these cultures is always amazing. And mm-hmm. go ahead and and get your Google on and learn about exercise through history or ladies exercising through history. I gotta tell you, I feel very inspired to do my push-ups today. Today, oh, today yeah. is my day. Yes, Adam has been doing push-ups yeah. every other day. I think I'm up to 45 today. Oh, yeah. just bragging for the people. Sure. Do All it. Right. Get out there. Do push-ups. Get fit. Yeah, get, get buff. fit. Just, or if not buff, at least, you know, like, keep your health up. That's right. We're all slowly dying, yeah. so may as well do what we can to stave it mm-hmm. off, right? All right. Well, be well, everyone, and we will see you next time. Laters.